Well, hey, welcome. Thanks for being here this weekend. We are so glad that you chose uh, to make River Glen a part of your weekend. It's good to see you. Uh, I want to shout out everybody here in our Waukesha campus, those of you at our Pewaukee campus, uh, and our online campus. Uh, hey, my name is Garrett. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I get to serve uh, as one of the pastors here, and it's just good to be with you this weekend. It's good to be back. Uh, it's been a little while since I've been up here uh, with you. I've been enjoying my summer. Have you been enjoying yours? You have a good summer so far? Doing anything fun? It's winding down. It's been good. Yeah, summer's been great. Uh, my wife and I got to celebrate uh, about four weeks ago uh, as we welcomed uh, our baby girl into the world. Uh, this is our beautiful daughter uh, right here. Uh, yeah, she's the best. Uh, it's just been so, so good. Uh, that is Hensley Margaret, and uh, we're loving every minute, just loving life right now. Uh, it's been amazing, and we are, we are just so, so uh, grateful for this blessing, and my wife is a superhero. Uh, I am just in awe of her, and, and, and she's my hero, uh, but we're, we're just grateful. Uh, for the community here, um, for, for everything, for everybody just supporting us and giving us some time off and uh, supporting us with some meals. And it's just been good. It's been great. So it's good to be here. You chose a good weekend to, to come to church. It is student takeover weekend. We've seen some students on stage, in the video. we got students all over in the booth that maybe you haven't seen yet. They're in the cafe, in the lobby, hanging out. So I just want to invite you, if you see a student, give them a high five, fist bump them, whatever you want to do. Go encourage a student uh, today. We love student takeover weekend. It's just an opportunity uh, for us to honor the next generation and just celebrate everything that God is doing. We've said it before. I will say it again and again. We believe that the next generation, they are not uh, just the church of the future, but they're the church of right now. And we believe that, that God wants to use them and do incredible things in and through uh, them. And so I want to invite you if you are a student or, or maybe you, you have a, a child in middle school or high school, uh, man, we'd love to help them get connected. Um, I'm going to be hanging out in the lobby after service. I know Ryan will be out in the lobby over at Pewaukee. Uh, and we would just love to meet you and, and, and help get your family connected and tell you everything that's coming up for RG Youth uh, this fall. But this week we are continuing in our series on the parables of Jesus called Stories That Change everything. There's power in story, right? We all love a good story. And Jesus often spoke in parables. He told stories to the people. Stories have impact. There's power in them, right? Statistics actually show that when there's a conversation happening, uh, the speaker and the listener, when a speaker is just giving data or information, the speaker and listener, they're connecting on opposite sides of their brain. However, when uh, a story is being told and there's imagery, and characters and that kind of thing, the, the speaker and listener, they're now connecting on the same side of the brain and memory enhances by 6%. And that, I mean, we're just people of story. We love a good story. It's why we love going to the movies, why we love a good book. It's why we even love sports, right? Because we're watching something unfold. We're invested. There's something to kind of follow and watch. And Jesus knew this very well. He knew the power of story. He knew his audience. And so he spoke often in stories. He would tell parables. And so today we're going to be hanging out in a parable uh, that is found in the book of Mark. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Anybody familiar with the mustard seed? We're going to be talking about that. It's actually in three of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John said, no thanks, more of a ketchup guy. You guys keep that parable. I'm going to do my own thing. So, but three of the 
three of the four Gospels, you're going to find this parable. And, and, and real quick, I just want to say, uh, if you're new here or if you're new to the whole church or Jesus thing, I just want to say we're glad you're here. Uh, we say this all the time. We're a come-as-you-are church, and we mean that. No matter who you are, where you're from, what you came and carry in this weekend, no matter what your feelings are toward God, we're just glad that you're here. And th- these are the places that, that I point people who are maybe new to Jesus or are just trying to discover who he's, all, who he's about, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four books in the New Testament, and they're, they're four trustworthy accounts of the life of Jesus. And we just want to point you there, and we just want encourage you, no matter where you're at with God, uh, that there is a God, and he, and he loves you, and he cares about you. I know oftentimes church can can feel overwhelming, uh, and it can feel like we're trying to get you signed up for, for a religious club or some system, and, and that's not us. We just want to tell you about Jesus. Uh, we want to tell you about a real guy who loves you, who cares about you, who has great plans for you, and, and that's the deal. That's what we're about here. So I think the parable today is going to show us who Jesus is. It's going to tell us a little bit about what he cares about and who his heart is for. So we're going to jump right in. Mark 4. Mark 4. We're going to pick up in verse 30. It's going to be on the screen. You can follow along with me. And it says this. It's Jesus speaking. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? Right? So now the parable has been set. Everything's been set in motion. What is the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God is like dot, 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 right? Everybody's kind of leaning in. They're on the edge of their seat waiting. And, and maybe you're wondering, what is the, the kingdom of God? I, I found a great quote that, that really sums it up. It says, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God advancing here on earth, bringing healing and wholeness by chasing out the chaos. Simply put, it is wholeness and restoration that God wants to bring to this earth and to you. And oftentimes when we talk about the kingdom of God, we'll say it's the, it's the now but not yet. It's the already but not yet kingdom. What that means is, right, we acknowledge that Jesus has come down. He has died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And, and we receive salvation through that. However, when we look at our world, there's still brokenness. There's still hurting. There's still pain and, and suffering. And so we believe that, that God is here. He's ruling and he's reigning. But one day, right, we have that hope that one day God will return and he will bring restoration and wholeness to all things. And we will together, come on, live in a day where there is no pain, where there is no suffering, and we will feel and experience the fullness of God's kingdom. Isn't that good news? I think that's good news. And so that when we hear kingdom of God, we better listen up. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, we better listen in because we're about to get a glimpse into who he is and where his heart is, right? It's like any small business owner or maybe a clothing designer, right? The things that they make, the thing in their company, it's going to reflect them. It's going to point back to them. It's going to be something that they like, and God's kingdom is no different. His kingdom is going to reflect his heart, And this is what he says, continuing in verse 31. He says, It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. 
mustard seed, the, the mustard plant in, in Israel, uh, there's a couple that Jesus could have been talking about. I've got a photo of one of them. Uh, and this is a mustard plant by, by the Sea of Galilee. They cover the fields around the Sea of Galilee. That's where this, this photo was, was taken. And so when Jesus is talking about this, the people listening, the crowd that's gathered, they know exactly what he's talking about. They're familiar with, with the mustard plant. They, they may have even been standing right there listening to this story and looking at it. And he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And it's a very small seed at first, but it grows very large, right? The, that picture, uh, it may not do it justice, but, but the mustard plant can grow up to six to 10 feet tall. So, I mean, this thing grows big. And this is what Jesus uses to describe his kingdom. He said, this is what it's like. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time, I want to pull three things from this parable that I think are going to show us what God's kingdom is all about, what he's all about, who he is, and how we can be a part of it, and how that may meet you and I where we are at today. And the first one is this. The first one is that it's small but mighty. It may seem small, but it is mighty. I'm experiencing this whole small but mighty thing firsthand right now. We've got this newborn at home, and she's beautiful and precious and so little. Yet sometimes there's this mighty scream or cry that I'm like, how is that coming out of you? Or are you okay? Or, or, or oftentimes there's this mighty incident with the diaper changing. And it's like, what is going on? Is that normal? I'm like Googling everything nowadays. Like, that's different. That's, this seems like too much. Is that normal, right? It's small, but it's mighty. And in the same way, small, but, but so mighty, this newborn baby has already had such a mighty impact on my life and my wife's and, and, and our family. And, and we're just so in love. I can't explain that, that feeling of, of seeing her for the first time and holding her together for the first time, of just meeting someone for the first time, but feeling like you love them forever. It, it's unbelievable and it's incredible. And, and she's small, but, but mighty. And, and that's kind of why we chose this, this parable for this weekend. Because I think that oftentimes when we talk about the next generation, we can look down on them. It's easy to forget them. It's easy to kind of overlook them and look at them as too small or too young. But we see all throughout Scripture that God does not kind of judge based on age or, or ability, that God is calling all kinds of people to be a part of his kingdom. I came across this story Recently, in the book of 2 Kings, it's in chapter 5, and it tells the story of this little girl. Uh, it says this, beginning in, in, in 5 verse 1. It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord, Naaman, were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. This little girl who's taken captive, who's serving Naaman and his family, she knows about this guy named Elisha. He's the prophet. He's, he's kind of God's spokesperson. And she speaks up in this moment, right? Naaman, 
He's this military leader, this big man of valor, right? But he's a leper. And in those days, lepers were outcasts, ostracized. They were excommunicated. They were pushed to the side. They were kicked out. And, and, and that's what is about to happen, right? You've got this man of great power, this man of great influence who's about to lose everything. But this little girl speaks up. And she simply says, I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. And if Naaman goes and sees him, he's gonna, he knows God and, and, and something's going to happen. And sure enough, Naaman goes, he visits Elisha, and through God's power, Naaman is healed. And it makes me wonder. Sometimes I wonder if we just overcomplicate our role as followers of Jesus. That maybe God is just looking for people who when we encounter hurting people in our lives who, who need some encouragement, that we would just be a people like this little girl who would say, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy. I know a place. I, I know a community. I know a guy named Jesus. He offers hope. He offers healing. And this little girl, she speaks up despite her age, despite her position, despite how everyone else would have looked at her. And I wonder if that's the invitation for you and me today. Man, we believe that for the next gen. We believe that, that like I said, they're, they're not just for the future. They're right now that God wants to use them, that God is already doing something incredible in the lives of young people. But it's not just for them. It's for you and for me. Can I just encourage somebody? You are not too small. You are not too young. You are not too old. You are not too broken. You are not too messed up. You have not gone too far to where the love of God cannot reach you. And you are not disqualified from the love of God or pointing others to it. You can't age out and you are always available. You are never too far gone or too messed up. God's love is for all of us. And he invites you, he invites me, he invites the young people in our world to be a part of his great plan of redemption. It's small, but it's mighty. The second thing that we see in this parable is that good things take time. Good things, they take time. Jesus very often in his parables and stories referred to plants or seeds or, or farmers, and he would use these stories. And I think he did this because Jesus is trying to teach us the importance of growth. Maybe more so the importance of time and the importance of waiting. You see, a mustard seed would have taken about 90 days from the time it's planted to the picture we saw earlier, about 90 days, which maybe in comparison to some other plants or trees, that, that may not be too long, but, but 90 days for us. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I get irritated when Amazon's like, Max, is two days. I'm like, seriously? Like, you can't just be here tonight? Like, well, two days. Like, 90 days. 90 days is a long time, right? And the disciples were kind of in a similar situation, right? The followers of Jesus, they thought that when Jesus showed up, they were going to get a king who was going to overthrow the government, and they would be rulers. They'd all be ruling everything. And that never happened. And many of us, in our relationship with Jesus... We want it now. We want things on our timeline. We want them to be kind of the way that we expect it. And I'm so guilty of this. We pray a prayer at bedtime. We like it to be answered by the time we wake up. That'd be easy, right? Maybe some of you have been praying for community. You've been praying for a spouse, and you're like, God, I wanted that yesterday. 
You're praying for God to meet you in your financial situation in your families right now, and you're kind of wondering if he's even listening anymore or if he even cares or is aware of how much you've been struggling. Maybe we want God to kind of meet us in, in, in how we love our, our neighbors and our people. We're like, I want my ones to, to come to church tomorrow. I want them to, to meet Jesus, and I want sharing the gospel to be super easy, and I don't want it to be awkward, and that's just not how it is. We kind of want things sometimes. I want things to be easy to be painless. I don't want it to cost me too much, and I would love, God, if you could, to do it on my time the way that I would like. And we get caught up in the waiting, in the growing, in those 90 days. And in those moments, it's easy to mistake being planted as being buried. And we can think that I'm just buried in all this stuff. But really, God has planted us there for a purpose, and there's power in the waiting. A few years ago, uh, my wife and I were able to go to Hawaii for our honeymoon, and we got to, to go to the Kauai Coffee Company farm, and we got to kind of tour the facility, and we got to taste a ton of coffee, which I'm even more grateful of now in my life, right? Like, we got to taste all this coffee and check it out, and, and one of the, the coolest parts was kind of really seeing the process of coffee, how it ends up in, in your mug, right? Where's, where my coffee drinker's at? You got it this morning, right? But it was, it was a much longer process than you just popping a K-cup in, you going over to the cafe and ordering a latte, right? It, there's a longer process to it, so I want to walk you through it, all right? Step one is the planting, obviously. Step one, planting of the seeds. Step two is, is the harvesting uh, the cherries, okay, which, which takes about four years, from the moment they're planted to, to the moment you've got cherries. So that's three to four years. Step three is, is processing the cherries. Step four is, is drying the beans. Y'all, I got like seven more, okay? This is a process. Step five, then you're going to, the milling of the beans, some go through a water process right after they're all laid out. And then the exporting of the beans. And then step seven, some of you might be interested in this, the tasting of the coffee. You got to taste it. And then after that, they're like, is this one even good? Is this a bad batch? And that's kind of when, now they roast the beans, which is step eight. Step nine is the grinding of the beans. And then step 10 is the brewing. Step 11, the drinking of the coffee, right? And I doubt this morning when you were having your morning coffee, you were like, man, this was just once a small cherry that was just drying out in the Hawaii sun, you know, like you weren't thinking of that. No, you, you popped it in, you hit go, and you, and you sat there. Maybe some of you are like me, and you just sat there and you waited. And even that was too long, right? Watching the thing drip and fill the pot, and you finally got to pour it. And you're, oh, yes, right? That process was long enough in and of itself. But when we think about, right, the moment from when that was a little seed to now, it is in your, in your hands, in your mug, right? That's a long process. And I think that Jesus is trying to teach us in this parable that good things, take time. I mean, look at his life. Jesus didn't begin his, his earthly ministry until he was 30. He waited until he was 30. Dude had a full-time job and everything. Like he, he, at 30 years old, he was finally like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this now. And many of you, you may have different opinions about the age of 30, okay? Some of y'all are like, Dude, that's so old. Oh, my goodness. I'm almost 30, you know. Some of you, you're like, oh, that's so young. Take me back. You know what I mean? That was forever ago. And then the rest of you, this is for you who are 30, you're just in denial, right? You're, you, you just haven't accepted it yet. Th those are kind of the three stages of, of viewing the age of, of 30, right? 
But good things take time. Jesus waited. And so can I encourage you that in your waiting, God is not distant. God is not ignoring you. God has not left you to be buried by, by, by the overwhelming things in your life, by the fear of the things that are, that are coming up. God is near you. God, God, God has planted you. He has placed you where you are on purpose and for a purpose. And he has great plans for you. And if you are planted and not buried, can I encourage you that there will be a harvest. There will be reward for the waiting, that you can trust that Jesus is for you, that he is with you. Which leads me into the third and final point that I want to pull from this parable is that God's kingdom, Jesus, is for people. That's it. It's for everybody. It is for all people. And so I want to go back to how Jesus ends his parable, which can easily be overlooked, right, as kind of a unimportant detail in this parable. It's in verse 32, but Jesus says, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Nests, bird nests need to be in a a shaded, kind of safe environment. A while back, my wife and I had had a bird nest that had kind of made its home uh, under like a little overhang by our garage. And so uh, every time we'd walk out of the house, right, this bird would just take off. Like we'd scare it or something. And I'd walk out and shut the door and it'd like fly over my head. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Whew. And I'd like shut the door and it'd take off. And I was like, what do I do? Like this bird, like it probably thought I was kind of just take the nest or steal the baby birds. And I was just like, I- I'm so sorry. I didn't want to intrude. And so we moved. We were just like, this is your home. We are we are so sorry. I, I, I apologize. And we left. And we're like, this is, this is your home, right? But that nest needed to be in the shade. It needed to be in this right, safe environment. And in the same way, I think Jesus is, is trying to give us this imagery of a mustard plant existing for the shade for the birds. That that is its purpose, right? That it's not just that it would grow big, but it is that it would be useful. That it would provide shade for the birds. And I wonder... If in an overheated, anxious, burnt out, tired, and hurting world, if you and me are here to provide shade for some people. I wonder if if River Glen exists to provide shade for, for, for the broken and hurting people in our community. That we can be a safe place for people to come. That our homes, that your, that your dinner tables, that your living rooms, that your backyard, that, that, that your life can be a safe place, a shaded environment for the people in your world to come to, to find rest, to find hope, to find healing, to hear the good news of who Jesus is. See, I believe mustard seed living is just doing everything that you can wherever God has placed you doing whatever you can in your ability where God has you right now. That's why we're having this this September Fest event coming up in just a few weeks. Here's why. Because we want people in our community to just have fun and have a safe place to come. We want them to experience church in a different way. To know that, that God's church, that we, that River Glen is for all people. And that's why we want to invite you to tell your neighbors, tell your friends, bring them here. Let's have fun together. Let's, let's celebrate. Let's enjoy. Let's, let's rest. Let's find some moment of peace in this crazy, chaotic world. Let's enjoy some time in the shade together.
the theme verse for, for our RG youth. It comes from John 17. And it says this, it says, starting in verse 16, it says, they are not of this world. This is Jesus speaking. Just as I am not of this world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given to me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Our prayer for, for, for our RG youth and our prayer for you is that we would all live not of this world and we would live for the sake of the world. That we would be different than the world, but we would live with a heart for others, that we would live for the sake of others. What if being planted and growing big wasn't all there was? See, what if it was so possible? What if it was possible to grow so close to Jesus, yet so far from his people? What if it was possible to know so much about God and about his word and about his church, but to not actually have a heart for the hurting? I mean, what it, to, to, to be just consumers who, who come into church to just receive something and then leave unchanged, not caring about the people in our lives who need some shade, who need some encouragement, who need some love. Friends, I don't know if you've turned on the news lately. I don't know if you've seen the things that are going on in our world. I don't know if you, if you know how many kids under the age of 18 are battling with anxiety and depression and addiction. But I got friends who don't know Jesus. And you got friends who don't know Jesus. And I wonder if there's an invitation in this, in this parable, in the kingdom of God, that, that, that we would just be a people to say, God, would you use me? God, here I am. I'm not much. But could you use me? And he's inviting us, he's inviting you, and he's inviting me to be a part of bringing that restoration, bringing about that wholeness. Here's the thing. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. He literally chooses not to go at it alone. And he says, I want to bring you in. I want you to be a part of what I am doing here. And I think what Jesus is getting at in this parable, the whole point that it's building to, is that a mustard plant is pointless. It doesn't matter how big it is, how beautiful it is. It is pointless if birds aren't getting shade from it. And maybe that's yours in my life as well. He's inviting us to be a part of his kingdom. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're a middle schooler or a high school. Maybe you're college age. I want to encourage you that God wants to use you on your campus. God wants to use you on your teams, in your, in your community, in your workplace. He sees value in you. He wants to use you to encourage people and love people. Maybe, maybe you're a parent of a teenager and it's getting hard. You're tired. You're, you're feeling exhausted. Can I just encourage you to keep going? God has you there. God has you in their life for a reason, to meet them where they're at, to love them, to raise them up, and to encourage them. 
Maybe you're, you're, you're here this weekend and you're wondering, you're watching the line and you're wondering if God's kind of done with you. If, if maybe you've aged out, maybe you're just, I'm just too old for God to use me. Maybe you're a grandparent. I want to encourage you that God's not done with you. Could it be that your best days are actually ahead of you? That there's some exciting things that God wants to stir up, that God wants to do in your lives and the people around you. Remember, it it may not be big. It it doesn't have to be this big, grandiose thing. It could be small, but it's still mighty. Maybe you're thinking, man, I I remember what it was like to be a student. I remember what it was like to to, to be in in middle school and high school, and I want to go back and encourage some of those kids. And if that's you today, I want to invite you to come to our next-gen team night. It's happening uh, next Saturday after our our Saturday service, and we're going to have free dinner, and we're just going to cast some vision and tell you all about RG Kids and RG Youth and how you can be a part of it, how you can serve the next generation. And if you're interested, I'll be at a table right out in the lobby. There's a place you can sign up or just come chat with me. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Ryan, he's got a table set up over at Pewaukee. We would love to meet you and invite you to be a part of what God is doing. Friends, I want to encourage you. Jesus is still in the business of telling stories that change everything. He's still doing it. The video we saw earlier, there's a kid named Reed. And uh, Reed is uh, going to be in sixth grade this year. And uh, at RGYC, that's our River Glen Youth Conference that we had uh, this summer. And uh, Reed was, was up front here at the stage, and, and he was kind of having a moment uh, with, with God. And, and we're kind of all, all worshiping. It's the last night, and, and Reed's up there, and I kind of see him having this, this moment. So I, I pop over there, and I just check in on him. And, uh, and I'm like, hey, buddy, you okay? Like, what's going on? And, and Reed just says... I want to get baptized. And so, you know, I'm like, that's amazing. That's awesome. And we had about, you know, 12, 15 kids that were already signed up to get baptized. That's awesome. It was exciting. But but the only problem, which, you know, wasn't really a problem, but, but I wanted his parents to be there. You know, I wanted his mom and dad. I didn't want him to miss this moment. And so, so Reed's sitting over there, and, and I run over to the back of the, of the auditorium, and, and I'm waving at Morgan. And I'm like, dude, keep the song going. Like, keep, keep going. Let's stall a little bit. Like, let's keep going. And then I run out to the lobby, and, and I call, you know, Reed's dad. I'm calling his mom, and I'm like, dude, could somebody get here? Like, I just don't want you to miss this. I want you to be a part of it. Like, you, your son's making this huge decision. I'd love for you to be there. And so our volunteers are calling them. I run back in, and, and sure enough, we take all the kids backstage, and, and, and they're getting Getting, you know, changed, and they were getting ready to come get, get baptized, and, and we're kind of stalling, taking our time. I keep peeking out to see if, see if his dad's here. I know he's on his way now, and so finally, we line all the kids up, and, and, and Reed's at the end of the line. I'm like, you go last, and by then, your dad should, should be here, and he'll be able to, you know, be a part of it and everything, and watch it, and it'll be really cool, and sure enough, right as we walk out those doors and line all the kids up, I see his dad run through these doors right here. He comes busting through the doors, and he runs up to me and Reed. And I'm like, dude, you're just in time. This is awesome. And, and I'm like, do you want to get in? Do you want to do it? With, do you want to baptize him? And he says, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, do you need to change? We got clothes. And he goes, no. And he kicks his shoes off, and he jumps in the water. And, and there's a photo we got right there of that moment. And it's amazing. Yeah. It's beautiful, and it's exciting, and it was unbelievable to be a part of. And just to think, man, God, why, why, why did I get to be a part of that? I don't know. And here's the thing. I wonder 
kind of know. Some of us, we're just disregarding the next generation. We're overlooking them. If we're being honest, we may not actually believe in them. But God wants to use you. God wants to invite you to be a part of what he's doing in the lives of young people. And it may be so easy to look at our generation, to look at, at this world and say, and say, God, the world just seems to be getting worse and worse. I don't know about the next generation. But what if God is saying, hey, actually, I would like you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of raising them up. I want you to be a part of, of leading them, of loving them. And maybe, just maybe, we could actually learn something from them. See, the same way that Reed's dad came running in through these doors, you and me, we've got a loving father too who, who's running after you and me. He's chasing after us. And once he gets to us, he wants to throw his arms around you and remind you and tell you that you're loved. But friends, it doesn't stop there. Because I think in that moment, he wants to pull us in. And he wants to say, you ready? Let's get started. I want to use you. He, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. But he chooses not to do it alone. God, in all his power, he could. But he says, no, 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 no. My great plan of redemption, it involves you. And I'm not doing it without you. And I want you to be a part of it. Because when he looks at you, he doesn't see someone who's too young, or someone who's too messed up. He doesn't see what you see in the mirror. He sees someone valuable. He sees someone of importance. He sees his child. He sees someone who has great potential. He sees someone that he says, oh, no, no, I, I could do some amazing things with you. He sees someone who was made on purpose and for a purpose. So can I just encourage you to start viewing and believing that God is going to use the next generation not just in this church, but across our city. Can we start encouraging them? The kids on the stage, the kids in the booth, the kids you see in the lobby, can we just love on them and encourage them and believe that God is up to something great and we have an opportunity to be a part of it. To close out our services, uh, I'm gonna invite you to do something a little different. We're gonna, we're gonna close in a prayer over the next generation, over the kids and, and teenagers in our church and in our community. And if you're here with, with your children, maybe you've got teenagers or, or little ones or grown kids, I want to invite you as we stand and pray, I want to invite you to just put your hands on them. Maybe throw your arm around them, lay hands on them. We see this all throughout scripture as leaders are commissioned and, and encouraged. And so we want to invite you to do this. And, and, and maybe you're here and, and you don't have kids or you're not with your kids. I just want to invite you to, to stand and just raise your, put your hand, arm out. And kind of join in on this on this prayer. And maybe you're online and, you, and you're joining us at home. And maybe you're sitting with your family right now. I want to ask that you just throw your arm around your kids as, as you're sitting together. Or, or maybe you're not with them or you don't have any. I want to ask that, that right now you'd start and, and you just type some names of some kids in, in your life. Some teenagers, some young people, maybe your neighbors, your, your grandkids, whoever. Just start typing names that we can be praying for. And so I want to invite you now to just stand to your feet. And, uh, and in a moment, you know, if you're with your kids, throw your hands on them. If not, just extend those arms out. And I'm going to give you a moment to pray over the next generation. 
You can do that to yourself quietly. You can do that out loud if you'd like. This moment is yours. And so I want to give you this time. And after a moment, I'm going to close us in a prayer over the next generation. You guys can go ahead. Father, God, I'm reminded of scripture where you tell us that children are arrows in the hand of God. So we want to pray for them. We want to lift them up to you. God, we want to challenge ourselves that that we would not fall into the trap of, of looking down on them, disregarding and dismissing them, that we would love them, that we would encourage them, that we would pray for them. God, I pray for the kids and teens and people in our community, God, that that you'd fill them, that you'd use them, that God, across campuses, God, across communities, that across this city and across this world, God, that you would break bonds of anxiety, that you would break bonds of depression and of addiction, and God, that you would raise up a generation that is on fire for you that is meeting people in their schools and in their communities where they're at, that is loving them and encouraging them and pointing them to the hope and healing that is found only in and through you. So God, I want to pray for families in this moment. I want to pray that they would be a team on mission to make more and better followers of Jesus. That God, you would bring unity to the family, that you'd bring restoration to broken homes. But God, we know that that, that change is going to come through the home, that it's going to come through the family. And so God, we just want to ask, that we would see your kingdom come in Waukesha, in Pewaukee, and beyond. We offer them to you. We ask that you'd have your way. And God, we eagerly look forward to the transformation that will come through this next generation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.